All right. I am now joined by current affairs editor Nathan Robinson. How are we doing today, Nathan? Hey, Ben. Nice to talk to you. End of the week, I feel good. Excellent. Um, yeah. Yesterday was my birthday, which is why I didn't do one of these then like I oh, usually right. would, so I mostly Happy feel hungover. Oh, thank you, Nathan. Uh, but, uh, but in any case... I uh, do want to do a couple of housekeeping things before I talk to you about what I'm inviting you on to talk about. So, uh, so one, I want to say that um, the events that are going on in Toronto a couple weeks, those are all, you know, the details are all set. Anybody could go to my Twitter profile and see the pinned tweet on there for the details. And the other one is I wanted to urge people to go over to The Nation magazine uh, where I have an article out today about somebody I'd actually previously interviewed on this show, uh, Daniel Musig, uh, who is uh, going to uh, federal prison for the next five years for uh, um, nonviolent uh, marijuana crimes because he, uh, he wouldn't inform on anybody. So, uh, so check that out. Uh, that's, I, I do want to try to get that out there as much as possible, but, uh, what I wanted to talk to Nathan Robinson about is something that he recently wrote for current affairs about the, uh, the clash of civilizations. So Nathan, tell me about the clash of civilizations. Well, I thought, uh, I did not anticipate that I would be writing about the clash of civilizations theory <laughs> here in 2022, because as far as I understand it, it is one of the most discredited theories in political science, and it had its day, right? Mm. So this is a, um, it's a hypothesis, essentially, put forth by the late Harvard political scientist Samuel P. Huntington, 1993, and he essentially forecast that the next decades of uh, geopolitics would be characterized by what he called as the what he called this clash of of civilizations and cultures, and and he he it was essentially a hypothesis about how things were going to unfold, but mm. it was based on this concept of the civilization, right? And 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 he tried to categorize everyone in the world as part of one of he, he was never sure how quite how many there were uh, the seven uh-huh. or eight. Um, but there's the West, you know, there's the West then, but then there's, uh, which is Europe, United States, Australia. Uh, then there's the Orthodox world, uh, you know, this former Soviet Union and, and, and there's, uh, the Islamic world there's Africa. So he, he, you know, he lumped, he even had like, you can look at the map of all the civilizations and essentially he thought that these categories were the most relevant categories. And anyway, um, this was big after 9-11 because there right. was this whole thing about this is, oh, this is Islam versus the West. And this was <laughs> Sam Harris's whole argument. And there was a book called Jihad versus McWorld. Uh, this, and, and so the thesis t- took on some credibility. Um, but then as it became clear that the world is more complicated than that, and as the Islam versus the West thing kind of declined along with the decline of the the fundamentalist Islamic uh, threat to the United States in terms of terrorism. Uh, you sort of hear less about this, but the reason I ended up writing about it is because Ross Douthat has decided to revive the class of civilizations theory for our time in the New York Times. It deserves another look. Ah, so what does Boss Ross have to say? What's the, what's the context <laughs> in which it's bringing oh, it up? Oh, God. Do you really want to know? 
Um, so <laughs> he says, well, some people are saying that the war in Ukraine uh, disproves the clash of civilization theory because uh, it's because Ukraine and Russia are obviously not a different civilizations per right. Huntington's typology. They are, in fact, being part of the, quote, orthodox world. So the fact that they, went, they would go to war doesn't fit the theory. But he says no. And I'll just quote him here. He says the last decade has made Huntington's predictions of civilizational divergence look much more prescient. This is Douthat. It isn't hmm. just that American power has obviously declined relative to our rivals and competitors or that our post-9-11 efforts to spread Western values by force of arms often so came to grief. The specific divergences between the world's major powers have also followed in general ways the civilizational patterns Huntington sketched out. China's one-party meritocracy, Putin's uncrowned czardom, the post-Arab spring triumph of <laughs> dictatorship and monarchy over religious populism in the Middle East, uh, Indian, uh, you know, Indian national, uh, Hindu nationalism in India. Um, he says they're not, they are culturally distinctive developments that fit well with the typology. So that's what, uh, uh, and so Huntington, of doubt that says Huntington has been unfairly dismissed. Uh, now you as a logician, Professor Ben Burgess probably have already noticed that there are a few, a, a little tiny hole or two uh, in the uh, the argument that Douthat puts forth in that in the passage I just quoted. Yeah, so that's such a weird um, that's such a weird claim, right? So, I mean, I mean, I guess I, I'm even a little bit unclear about whether he's claiming here. That despite the war in Ukraine, uh, this clash of civilizations is still like the most important thing for understanding geopolitics, that this is sort of an exception, or that in some way what's going on in Ukraine is still a clash of civilizations. He, he would appear to be saying it is. He said it looks like it isn't because they're part of the same civilization, but he, he describes Putin as kind of reviving this uniquely i got i think I mean, it's very hard to discuss this thesis because it's so, so incoherent because it was very unclear what a civilization actually was what it was comprised of you know and um but he suggests putin's the phrase we have here is putin's uncrowned czardom thinking uh -huh. putin to 19th century uh you, you know the russian empire uh and so he embodies that, and therefore it's uh, it's a civil, it's a quote Huntingtonian civilization, and the thesis is correct. Which is such a weird turn of phrase, anyway, because like what makes like it? I mean, it, it's just so obvious that the thought there is just well, Putin, you know, equals authoritarian plus Russian equals czar. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, yes. what, like, what what else makes him any more like a czar than like any other like strongman like authoritarian president in any other country? In the, like, like is is Putin more czar like than Erdogan is? You know, like is uh, well, yes, you know, because is, he's Russian. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Right? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Right. I mean, this, uh, Erdogan is going to be more uh, more salted like is uh, an crowd salted. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like at, at a. And it, and it is so incredibly lazy because it's, I mean, I, I have to say, I mean, you know, just as a, you know, somebody who doesn't pretend to know a lot about contemporary Russian politics, um, 
But it seems to me that like what makes Putin tick is probably really importantly unlike you know somebody who's a czar because for one thing he's coming to power not because he's some you know like inbred scion of a family that's been in power for the last 10 generations and you know and 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 just has to continue to oversee this tottering empire but somebody who's coming to power at the you know, kind of as Russia's coming out of the post-Soviet devastation and, and is, it is uh, has to, like, play all these, like, power games with, like, other oligarchs in Russia. And, you know, and, and it's it, this is much more of a, you know, this is much more of a gangster movie than, uh, than a prestige TV series about czars. Um, and that probably is something that would tell you a lot about what Putin, like, is and isn't actually, um, you know, actually motivated by but again if if like if you do that weird cultural essentialism about russia and say well anybody who's you know whatever you know czar you know like 19th century czars uh lenin vladimir putin it's all kind of the same thing it is very confusing why ukraine isn't also kind of the same thing no it is i mean it it it, uh it really inhibits your ability to understand conflicts that occur within these civilizations because as much as huntington protested that of course he saw the differences and didn't think of the people in these units as completely homogenous or monolithic he did argue that essentially their similarities were more important than their differences. That's kind of the theory. The theory is right. that the, the future of conflict, the thing driving it, is going to be the differences between the, the Orthodox world and the West, or the Islamic world and the West, or Latin America is very confusing for this framework yes. because uh, <laughs> nobody knows whether because it's weird to say it's not in that Mexico is like not part of Western civilization, but because uh, ultimately, and he was accused of racism, and I think there is something quite uh, uh, you, you know bigoted <laughs> about it, right? Because it does sort of map onto. It, it corresponds very well to the people we consider other and the mm-hmm. degree to which we consider them a homogenous other. And so Mexico, they're kind of different. They're not, you know, fully white, so they can't be part of our civilization, but Canada can. So it has a lot of, um, th- there's a lot of bigotry built in there, but... but es- yeah, especially does, especially yeah. because it's confusing, yeah. because some <laughs> of this is explicitly religious that uh islam gets to be its own civilization uh you know russia is the orthodox civilization uh but somehow very very catholic mexico uh is it is it part of the christian civilization that i guess we're part of and also like but like also some of the most secular countries in the world and europe are also part of it's very weird. In fact, people who these, in fact, you see this among a lot of these kind of cultural difference theorists. People like Tucker Carlson, right? Where when they're talking about Islam, the, the sort of cultural differences hypothesis makes sense. But then they start talking about Mexico and Mexican immigrants, and it all <laughs> breaks down there because the difference, the, the, the you know, sometimes the difference between 
the border cities in Texas right. and Mexico is that they you know, more Spanish-speaking people on the one side of the border. But culturally, like the there's a very it's it's very fluid um, actually between Mexico and and the United States or the southern the southwestern United States, uh, especially because it was once part of Mexico. Right, right. right. So. Uh, so they really struggle with these kind of cultural differences. And as you look around the world and you start to actually examine human beings as they are rather than this, this mm-hmm. map of colors, um, you realize that this and this was the subject of the, the rebuttal lecture that Edward Said gave about the mm-hmm. Huntington thesis was he said it just obscures all of the things that are most important to understand about the places you're interested in understanding. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, it's right. I mean, there's there's something incredibly strange about it, just in general, since like manifestly, so much of you know, so much of the history of the world. I mean, you know. What's the uh, like if if uh, I mean you know was was World War Two civilizational? It's that 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 bit confusing to try to map out. Uh, but like even the even the time that Huntington was writing about uh, fits this very weirdly, right? Since like I mean there was a different kind of war on terror hawk who 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 liked to make the correct point that a lot of what was going on uh, in. Um, in you know, there's wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, and uh, you know, in, in the sort of broader, co- you know, the conflict with Al Qaeda and all of that stuff. You know, was like much, you know, was like mostly a matter of Muslim on Muslim violence. Like you know, I mean, I mean, apart from the actual invasions, and you know, I mean, obviously the U.S. played a big role in backing you know regimes around the Muslim world. But I mean, like that they have a, but even that, I mean, I think if you if you see it as a conflict between you know whatever. Western or you know uh, north of Mexico Western uh, civilization and uh, uh, Islamic civilization like it's it's going to be very confusing in and of itself right I mean that like one of Al Qaeda's primary complaints about the United States was that the United States was you know was backing their enemies within the Muslim world. It um it's a very dangerous hypothesis too, which is one of the reasons that I decided to write about it again because uh, it needs to stay dead. Uh, it, it fortunately, I mean, Douthat is, is consciously trying to revive it. He acknowledges that not many people believe this anymore. Um, but it needs to stay dead because it's, you know, people in the Bush administration who saw the world this way um, ended up not, it, it contributes to this attitude of, of seeing the Muslim world as one thing is mm-hmm. part of what allowed people to see al-Qaeda and Iraq and the Taliban and Iran and it's all just sort of part of the same thing Um, not understanding and and so when Iraq erupted into sectarian violence after the overthrow of Saddam's regime doesn't really make sense on the clash of civilization framework right Um, you know this (laughs) Why, and, and it turns out that these intra-civilizational differences are more important to the people actually living in these places than our conception 
Um, and you know, yes, some people like Osama bin Laden probably subscribes to the probably subscribe to the Huntington view of the world. Sure, probably speaking. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but it's not what you want. And I quote at the beginning of my article this incredible passage from this new, this great new book, the Afghanistan Papers by Washington Post reporter mm-hmm. Craig Whitlock, where he, he it was a soldier recalling that in the cultural cultural sensitivity training that they had before (laughs) they were sent to uh, Afghanistan. The instructor said, well, when you go to Iraq, um, and and then someone said, sorry, we're going to Afghanistan. And the cultural sensitivity instructor replied, oh, Iraq, Afghanistan, it's the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, I'm like, yeah, I mean, that is incredibly dangerous. it's, I mean, as, I mean, in fact, I mean, I think this is really what gets you to, um, you know, willingness to, you know, to do things like, you know, have no problem with collective punishment of entire societies, uh, since you're not really making a distinction between anybody, you know, inside that society, it's all kind of the same thing. Um, but uh, it's also just, analytically bizarre right so uh you know I, i'm just looking at the uh Duthout article and he says um you know he says okay so there's that art that line you quoted earlier it says china's one party meritocracy uh which is just such a weird awkward way of sort of admitting that it's not quite communist anymore but like it's still different right putin's uncrowned zardom the post-arab spring triumph of dictatorship of monarchy over religious populism in the middle east uh, the Hindutva uh, transforming into democracy, these aren't all just indistinguishable forms of autocracy, but culturally distinctive developments that fit well with Huntington's typology. And it, it is just worth noting that, like, the Putin's uncrowned Zardom uh, is the one that, like, you know, is the one that, like, it's the weirdest stretch to uh, to put it in there, right? to claim that there's something that's, like, uh, I mean, those those others, he's at least talking about well, yeah, I mean, and even the even the post Arab Spring triumph of democracy and monarchy, dictatorship and monarchy over religious populism is still lumping together a lot of very different things. But uh, what I want to point out is just below that, where he he tries to save Huntington's typology uh, by saying um, that. Uh, he accurately foresaw internal Ukrainian divisions, the split between uh, the Orthodox and Russian-speaking East, uh, and the more Catholic and Western-leading West. And it's um, it it is worth pointing out, like just how weak the sauce is here. That um, like they have this is. You know, the amount, um, sorry, the, uh, you know, the actual number, like, of Catholics in Ukraine, it's a pretty tiny minority. Like, there are more of them in Western Ukraine than there are in Eastern Ukraine, but, like, the vast majority of people who are, like, fighting and dying, you know, in the conflict with Russia right now uh, are are Orthodox, uh, you, you know, are Orthodox Ukrainian people, um, which... Which should which should be the least surprising thing ever, right? I mean, like if you, I mean, look, I, I, if you know anything about, 
you know, I mean, God, you know, I mean, all of the uh, all of those centuries of European uh, history leading up to the Reformation, when you know, other than occasional conflicts with you know, uh, you know, Ottomans, like everybody, you know, was uh, was was Catholic, so there was no possibility of uh, of finding somebody, you know, who uh, who had uh, who went to a different kind of church than you, you know, they still managed to be a lot of wars in Europe. Well, and there is, I mean, who thinks this is a religious conflict? No, no, right. it's not discussed in that terms because it isn't a, a, a religious conflict. It isn't a clash between two, two religions. It's just not one of the things at play here. And, you know, you and I had a conversation on the Current Affairs podcast about your Christopher Hitchens book and, and the yes. limits of, of his analysis. And one of the limits that you know, you identify in your book with him and the other new atheists is that they put place an outsized um, they give outsized importance to religion as a causal mm-hmm. factor in right. in conflict and they don't look at all the many many other things that drive conflict and Huntington is very similar actually uh, as you say some of these culture his civilizational categories are explicitly religious although Japan is its own <laughs> civilization of this because he couldn't figure out he couldn't lump it with China. But he's like, but it's not Western, so it's its own thing. Um, but- yeah, and he, and, he, and he obviously can't just say Asian because then the, yeah, then yeah. China can't, you know, China would have to be part of it. So, like, you know, he can't even do the thing that would sound natural. He has to just say Japan. It's, they're very contrived categories that all come from, like, desperately trying to resolve the contradictions in the, in the core thesis. Um, but... <laughs> The, the point is, it, it does it flattens uh, the sources of, of human conflict in the same way that the religion poisons everything. Religion is at the root of all conflict. Uh, this stuff does, which is that you really can't. No, no matter how much Ross Douthat, or I never, how do you pronounce his last name? I I've always probably I'd say Douthat, but I I don't know if that's yeah. Right. That, that, um, I think that's what I've heard. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, uh, uh, but it, it, no matter how much he may insist that the Ukraine conflict can be explained within the parameters of this thesis, it clearly can't. And there are clearly so many other things, like the Sunni Shia divide, for instance, take one, uh, that just don't fit well. And then, in fact, you'll end up really, really ignorant of if this is your basic framework for understanding the world and and its people. Yeah. No, I, I think, uh, you know, I think so. Um, and I mean, this is, I think an extreme case of, of, you know, overestimated, uh, you know, religious causality, you know, cause you know, whereas it is true enough that there's the, you know, that, um, you know, the Putin government is, you know, allied with, you know, the, the Russian Orthodox Church and, you know, sort of uses it as a source of legitimacy. Um, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't, I, I think I've literally never even heard anybody make the claim, you know, that that's, uh, that that's a cause of, uh, that that's actually, that's actually like the cause of, um, of the conflict. And it would be a, you know, it would be a bizarre, you know, be a bizarre claim on its, uh, uh, on it, on its face, you know, but I mean, it's, it's also, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's all about, it seems like the effect of the clash of civilization stuff 
is to make it sound, you know, like, um, you know, the differences that are driving so con- some conflict just go so deep that they're just going to be irreconcilable. That you just you just have like, what are you going to do? You, you know, these are just different civilizations with fundamentally different values, and you know that's why all this is happening. Which is one of the things I remember finding so insidious about it the first time around, because yeah, like if you think that you know whatever the uh, post nine eleven U.S. interventions in the Middle East or you know the global war on terror or whatever, uh, if you think if your analysis of that has something to do with you know whatever like Islam as a as a religion or Islamic civilization or whatever, then. I always kind of want to know what the plan is that comes out of that, right? Yeah. Like, 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 okay, so are we just, you know, so are you just going to convince everybody to not be a Muslim anymore? Are you going to kill all the Muslims? You know, what's the, uh, like, what's the actual actionable result of of this analysis? And it did it didn't really seem like there there could be one. And I also find it interesting that, you know, at the end of Duthat's article he has this weird um uh you know he has this weird thing so he's responding to somebody in uh compact magazine which for anybody who's not familiar with it is uh i don't know how would you describe compact i i it's indescribable it's a it's a motley collection of contrarians who uh i does it have a stated ideology or is it one of these like uh our ideology is that we're against all ideologies and we challenge the orthodoxy uh i think a little of each so it has a there is a sort of statement of ideology on uh on the website which uh you know or at least it's a note from the founders is what it's called so it's at least like something that all three of the founded editors signed off on uh, although I I do know sort of both just kind of from common sense from knowing who some of these people are, and also from talking to one of them that there are other people who are on the masthead who would not sign on to this whatsoever. But um, but the stated ideology is sort of like something about social. You know, it's basically like social democracy plus you know culture war conservatism is is roughly is roughly what it what's in that you know in that note for the founders. Uh, is that the thing that mentions libertines? Is yes. That the one that, yes. Like, <laughs> they're against yeah, they're libertines, which uh, I, I <laughs> kind of shocked me. I thought I thought I thought we'd all agreed that uh, that <laughs> that being a libertine was okay. Now. <laughs> yeah. No. Exactly. They said they want to defend uh, communities, local and national, religious and familial, against the libertine left and the libertarian right. So whatever the hell that means, I also think that there are people who, you know, are on the extended masthead. Uh, people could, you know, make their own inferences here who one would think would fall into at least one of those categories. But in any case, um, the I, I do tend to think that, like, in practice, the ideology is like we don't like, you know, we don't like liberals, basically. And, uh, and so... <laughs> You know, that's yeah. it's 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 sort of uh, the sort of a negative ideology. But in any case, he's responded to something that was apparently published at Compact by somebody who's uh, you know extremely conservative and had Christopher Caldwell 
uh, who has and Caldwell, who to be fair has a more ridiculous analysis in some way than Duthat does, says, um, "Well, here's the quote." But then he he also offers a different reason to reject Huntington's application to our moment, suggesting that the civilizational model has been a useful framework for understanding events over the last 20 years, but lately we have been moving back towards a world of explicitly ideological conflict, one defined by a Western elite pre- preaching a universal gospel of neoliberalism and wokeness and various regimes and, and movements that are trying uh, that are trying to resist it. So I, I guess on this analysis, the war in Ukraine has something or other to do with wokeness. Uh, uh, I think um, I... I really don't think so, but in any case, um, but then he returned, Duthout returns to this theme at the end of the article. He says, um, the um, interestingly, the wokeness wars reveal another key thing that Huntington may have gone wrong. His main fear for the Western world in age of civilizational competition is that it would abandon its own cultural distinctiveness and that multiculturalism would essentially be its undoing. Um, and uh, uh, but instead, a little later on, Duthat continues: the current culture war back should be reducing ethnic polarization. Our political parties, drawing some racial minorities rightward, for instance, while resurfacing some of the oldest divides in Anglo-American politics. The woke often seem like heirs of the New England Protestants and the utopian zeal of Yankeedom. Uh, their foes are often Southern evangelicals and conservative Catholics and the libertarian descendants of the Scots-Irish. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually give a shit about that part. I didn't even write about it. I, I was like, I, I mean, I was more interested in the revival of Huntington than this whole thing. Yeah, well, I mean, right. I mean, it's 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 bizarre. I mean, it sort of feels like he's you know like he's got a notebook somewhere somewhere where he's writing down his speculations about everybody's ancestry. And, you know, that's the, uh, it's like, ah, doubtless a Scotch Irish libertarian. Uh, but in any case, um, but he says the, uh, the, the place where I think it does relate in an odd way though, to his attempt to revive Huntington is he says, um, uh, the present American culture war that vindicates Huntington in a larger sense while cutting against one of his specific fears. Our various battles over race and sex, liberalism, education, religion are indeed a response to a world that no longer takes American hegemony or liberal universalism for granted, but they aren't, or at least aren't yet, a surrender to dissolving forces of post-American descent. Rather, if there's going to be a clash of civilizations, the clash inside America is over what kind of civilization ours should be, which is the kind of closing I think would be really tempted to just write off as just meaningless, like, jumble of nonsense. <laughs> but uh, I, I guess the one thing that I do find interesting about it, and I, I don't want you weigh in on, is that it seems like he's kind of tried to have it both ways here because when it comes to all of the other civilizations, it seems like Duthat wants to just understand whatever's going on with them as some expression of some like unchanging transhistorical civilizational essence, you know, that, that mm-hmm. Putin is, you know, you know, that Putin is essentially a czar and nothing that's happened in Russia in, you know, the last hundred, uh, you know, uh, last, you know, hundred years and change since the Russian revolution is actually important. 
uh, and the you know, and, and like contemporary right-wing nationalists in, in India, since since they emphasize Hinduism a lot, they must just be completely continuous with, you know, unchanging, you know, Indian historical essence and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But America gets to have like internal divisions that, uh, yeah. that you know, we have clashes over what kind of civilization we're going to be, which seems like a cute way of saying, okay, like we're actually like – we're actually having, you know, there are actually important conflicts between different kinds of Americans that you need to understand to understand what's going on in America, which does make me wonder why the same thing isn't true of, say, Russia or China. Well, maybe it's the case that every society across the world has a spectrum of beliefs and a bunch of internal conflicts and a bunch of power struggles and... Uh, that that what unites uh, huma- all of humanity is those differences, that spectrum of differences, that it exists pretty much wherever you look. Uh, people, uh, the, the spectrum of, of bastards to angels is in any human society. And yes, there are cultural differences, but really those cultural differences are quite small compared to the intra-social differences and compared to the things that are unified among all human beings everywhere since time immemorial. And that, I mean, if you're a leftist, (laughs) you see human beings as very much united. You see the Russian Mm -hmm. working class and the American working class Mm -hmm. and the Latin American working class as having interests in common, and when you meet people, when you actually travel the world and you meet people, you do find that people who are from other civilizations turn out to be actually, you know, you get the shock of finding, anyone who goes to Palestine is shocked to find out that Palestinians is just extremely similar to, you know, oh my god, I, I didn't realize that the people in this totally weird other civilization were actually quite similar to myself. Um, you know, so as we've said, it turns you, it turns you into an idiot, but you can see, yeah, it refutes, it essentially refutes the thesis by looking at America and going, well, here in America, look at all these differences. And there's this colossal argument about what it even means to be American civilization. And you go, yep, that is human society generally, which is, I mean, the real indictment of the Huntington thesis is that it explains nothing. Like, you right. can lump the world into these categories. You can try and divide up people. But if it's a political science thesis, hypothesis, if it's supposed uh-huh. to be a tool, a framework of understanding, the question is, what does it illuminate? And does it obscure more than it illuminates? And it's clear that, it, you know, just by applying it to America, you can see that it obscures more than it illuminates. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and- you know, it, it is awfully convenient that the, you know, the one civilization that turns out to be composed of a motley variety of different human beings with different interests and different ideologies and all that stuff is his. Uh, but uh, I, I would, so I, I know I'm going to let you go, but I uh, I, I would uh, recommend uh, for a vastly healthier way of seeing the world um, <laughs> that... Uh, people, of course, read Nathan's article, but also the entire discussion keeps making me think of the last chapter of the late Michael Brooks's book, uh, Against the Web, 
uh, where he, he he talks, you know, about cosmopolitan socialism and, you know, kind of how to think mm. about, you know, cultures and not essentializing cultures and, uh, and all of that. But uh, thank you so much for coming by, Nathan. Hey, always a pleasure to be with you, man. I hope we can do it again soon. Absolutely. Talk soon. Bye. See you.